Good morning, good morning. Thank you, worship team. That was, that was lovely. Um, good to see everyone here. I know Pastor Stu is on sabbatical, so you're just going to have to pick up the game of the amens today <laughs> that he usually provides for Ryan and myself. <laughs> Although I think I can count on Pastor Ryan to give me at least one. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's getting it out of the way now. Yeah, I'm the least vocal, I think, of the three of us in service, but all good. Um, if you are able, please stand uh, with me and pray this new prayer together, and then we'll go into the reading of the word. Holy God, by your spirit, enlighten us, illuminate us, inspire us, not for our sakes, but for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whom we live. Amen. Our reading today is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 8 through 16. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God, by faith he received power of procreation even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one person and this one as good as dead, descendants were born as many as the stars of heaven and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Before I get too far into it, I will forget otherwise. Uh, my parents are here visiting in the middle. Yeah. So thankful that uh, borders have been able to be open so that we can spend quality time together. And my dad just retired 39 years from the military, and this is his gift. So, <laughs> so we're going to the mountains tomorrow. That's his happy place. That's what he says. He saw the foothills on Friday, and he was like a little kid at Christmas. I always say my dad is a giant kid. Little kid at Christmas, foothills. And I said, Dad, these are just the foothills. And he was like, this is the most spectacular thing I've ever seen. I said, Dad, these are just the foothills. 
Monday, Monday, save your excitement. <laughs> no, it's good. Faith. So our scripture today is about faith. Uh, our series today is about faith, if you hadn't noticed from the videos and the songs and the scripture and everything else that we've been reading up to this point. And it's, it seems like such a small word, one syllable, but I think it's quite difficult to understand. What is faith? What is faith? But see, this scripture is even more than just faith. It's about hope. It's about trust. It's about testimony. People's stories. If you read all of Hebrews 11, it's actually just a long narrative of people trusting God. We didn't want to make you stand for that long, so we just got a little snippet of Abraham's story. But read the whole chapter. It's just a long narrative of trusting God and these, these testimonies of people's faith and their trust in God. It's incredible. Sometimes we read them and we just think, yeah, yeah, I know that story. But it's a testimony. It's living. So as such, I would like to kind of dive into a testimony as well. Now, I don't particularly like talking about myself, whether you believe that or not, when I stand up here and preach, I, I do not. But I have been asked quite often, how did you become a pastor? That's kind of one of those questions that any of us get asked in work. How did you become a professor? How did you become a scientist? How did you become a teacher? How did you become a nurse? What drew you into that career? How did you become, you know, how did you know you wanted to be a parent? Things like that that are particularly asked. I get asked, how did you become a pastor? And I usually just kind of skim over the story. So some of you have probably read the skimmed part <laughs> or heard it from me. But today I'm going to dive into the deeper part of how I became a pastor. So if you ask me that later, then I know you either were sleeping or <laughs> I was being too boring for you. So yeah, this is about me and my testimony. Just a little bit of it. Because I believe we all have large testimonies throughout our journey in life. So who here loves planning things? Who's a planner? Who likes to put everything down, plan it all out, even hour by hour? Yep, guilty, guilty. Me too. <laughs> and some of you might know that about me, but I am a huge planner. I planned my entire life out by the time I was three years old. And I'm actually serious. You can ask my mom. She said, when I was three years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I knew I didn't want to live in Ohio, and it broke their heart. But that was what I said at three. So apparently it's true. <laughs> I knew my whole life I had it all planned out. But then, you know, over, over the years of growing up and things happened, and my goodness, I could go into like an entire weekend of just how God has opened my eyes and changed direction in my life. But in this particular uh, moment that I'm going to be talking about is related to academia, so higher education. I love learning. One of my top skills is being a learner. If you didn't know, I think all three of us in the office, it's like learner. We just are constantly learning, studying, 
That's why Pastor Stu is on sabbatical, to finish his doctorate learning. I loved being an academic. I was one of those people that loved sitting in seminars for weeks, just sitting in them and listening to people talk, experts listening to their field, taking notes. I loved studying. I actually read my textbooks in all of my degrees. I read my textbooks. I loved it. I would even reread them. I even kept some, and I like to compare the newer versions to see like how they've changed and what things have changed since I was in school. And a little bit of a nerd, if I can say so. But I had a plan. I had a plan, and I enjoyed learning, and I had years and years and years of studying and learning and persevering, and the plan was going well. And Fabian and I, we lived in Australia for eight years, for those who didn't know before we came to beautiful Canada and Calgary in particular. And during those eight years, I studied my master's by research, and it was a master's in mechanical engineering, my undergraduate degrees in biology. And I always like to say, isn't that kind of funny? A pastor, a biologist, and an engineer kind of sounds like the beginning of a joke. <laughs> I left out the tag end of that because we're Nazarenes, right? <laughs> But people often ask, you know, how did you become a pastor? You have a biology degree and an engineering degree, and this just doesn't add up. People don't go and study a master's by mechanical engineering and then go, I'm going to be a pastor now. So I was doing my master's by research, and if any of you know what that means, that means you spend years of just doing data and research and um, reading about what your your you're kind of doing your experiments on, and, and because it was engineering and science-based, I was studying uh, how a particular species of tree would break. Ooh. <laughs> I love trees. <laughs> anyway, man. Um, but yeah, so that was like the very one-line summary of my research was how these two particular species in Australia would break can go into more detail, but that's basically what I studied for three years and did research on and experiments on and collected data on and all the calculations that is involved and all of that. And when you do research and when you do a thesis like that, it's usually like the size of a book, you know, when you're ready to submit it. It is, it is a hefty, hefty thing. And it usually goes through a big process. So for those who aren't familiar, this is the process. You, you submit your, at least for me in Australia, I don't know, it might be different here, but Joel can tell me otherwise. And, you know, first it goes to your advisor. Your advisor reads the whole thing. And then your advisor has to approve it. And then when your advisor approves it, then they pass it on to the next uh, group of people who need to read it and approve it. And that for me was um, the board of my department which was aerospace engineering. I don't know why they thought mechanical fit under aerospace, but I know nothing about space, so do not ask me that. Um, then they have to approve it, the board. They read it, approve it, and then when they approve it, it goes to the board of the entire school, all right? The entire university. And then this board has to read it and approve it, and then when they approve it, it goes then to outside experts, usually two or more, and these outside experts are just experts in the field that you are doing your research in, and they have to read it and approve it. And then, that's when you can graduate. So it has to pass through all these hands in order for this approval process to work, and then you can graduate. 
And I had a plan. I was going to, you know, write my thesis, and I was going to graduate, and I was going to work in my career, and I was going to gain experience, and I was going to move up the, the corporate ladder of science and engineering, and that is what my plan was. But what I did not plan for was rejection. I was very confident in my skill set. And yet, you know, when my thesis got put forward by my advisor and by the board, it was rejected. But I didn't let that deter me because I am a determined individual. And I said, okay, I'll do what you need me to do. And I did the edits they suggested and then resubmitted it because that's what you can do. It's not like a one and done, you're, you know, you got to leave. So I did it. And then I resubmitted it. It was rejected again. Okay, I'll go back, I'll do some more. They wanted me to do a little bit more data collection. Okay, I did that, all right? Rewrote it, re-edited it, redid whatever they wanted me to. Resubmitted, and it was rejected again. My thesis got rejected four times. Do you know what my biggest fear in life is? Failure. This is me personally. And this is a hard thing about giving testimonies. It's because it's a piece of you. Because you become vulnerable. You become vulnerable to people you know. You become vulnerable to people you might not know. My biggest fear in life is failure. It still is. It's still a constant struggle for me to stand up here and feel like I'm not failing. It's always attacking me in the back of my head. Because you see, it wasn't that my thesis was rejected. It was that I felt I was being rejected. This was years of my life. Blood, sweat, and tears. This was the entire reason we were even in Australia, at least at the time is what I thought. And I am very hard on myself. <laughs> Pastor Stu always says, Brittany, you're too hard on yourself. It's true. But you see, sometimes my fear conquers my faith. And I feel a lot smaller than I actually am. I mean, four times I had groups of people tell me my thesis was not good enough. My work was not good enough. I was not good enough to graduate. And that shook me. That shook my life because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just this degree. It wasn't just this plan I had. It was who I was. It was what I enjoyed. And it also affected our ability to stay in Australia legally because our visa was running out. And when we went to them and said, okay, I got to extend our visa so that I can redo this thesis and try again. And immigration said, no, we don't care if you get that thesis or not. You got to leave the country. So not only was I getting rejected by, by my university and by my work, but also by just the status that we had in a country that we felt like was home to us in that moment. 
was telling us that we had to leave. This was back in 2014. So I felt like a failure in my studies, I felt like a failure in my work, and I felt like a failure in my family. I felt like I was letting everyone down. And it was during this time at at my lowest that questions started popping into my head, you know, where was I going now? What was going to happen? What was I going to do? I can't study these two species of trees in the United States because they don't exist there. There was no way for me to continue well, and what was it all for? What was the point of coming to Australia? What was the point of even doing it? What was the point of all that work? Why were we even there? And all these questions just spun in my head, and it was, it was amidst all these questions that, you know, there was this moment, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate. There are moments in our lives that we never forget. There are moments in our lives that hit us so hard that we remember like it was yesterday, like we can touch the moment. And in the midst of these questions, I had this significant moment. You see, in Melbourne where we lived, there's a huge train network. Most people rode public transport, trains, buses, or trams. Light rails, I'm not sure what they're called here, but you don't have them here. And I was working a part-time job, and I was coming home from work, and I was on the train, and it was during peak time, which is also called AKA rush hour, or if there's another word, I'm not sure. My English gets so mixed up between Australia, the United States, and Canada that sometimes I'm like, it's one of those. And I was on a train riding from, uh, from work, and it was peak time, and it was packed. Packed. Melbourne is uh, five million people. Okay, train was packed. You know, people. You know, it's pre-COVID times, so people are like literally like next to you. You know, brush like leaning against you, and you never get a seat during rush hour on the train. That's like unheard of. I got a seat somehow, so that was a good start because I got to sit down. But I was so upset that I didn't even care. I put in my my headphones and I was listening to music as loud as I could because the train was really noisy. I'm riding this train, listening to music, and just imagine like all the noise that you're surrounded by when you're, it's, you know, like Stampede. You know how noisy Stampede is? I actually went for the first time this year, so I can say that I know. But when you're walking in the crowds of people and you just hear everything, you hear families and kids and people talking and people on the phone and you hear music and you hear announcements and that's the train atmosphere during rush hour. Super noisy. And it was amongst this crowd of people that I was sitting in that I realized how lonely I felt in that moment. Lonely, angry, hopeless. We had to leave in like a week or two. Our visa was running out. And it was the first time in my life I didn't feel strong. I didn't feel like me. And... The relationship I have with God is one that's a a little confrontational, so I apologize if it's uncomfortable to other people, but I started asking God questions, because I love questions. You know, science taught me to ask questions, and I started asking God, like, why? Why is this happening? Why, Why am I getting penalized for something like this? 
Why is my plan not going according to plan? Why me? I mean, Lord, I know that you test me. I know that, that this, is, this is part of like sometimes my faith and I need this strengthening, but why now? Why now? Why do we need to just go? Why are we getting kicked out of the country? I don't understand. Lord, are you even there? Do you even hear me? Do you feel the heartache in me? I need you. I need you. Why don't you answer me? My whole life I've believed and I need you in this moment. I need to know why. And you know, in the middle of that crowded, noisy train, the music in my ears, everything was silenced. Not a sound. It was calm, so calm. And two little words just came out. Trust me. Trust me. You see, just as I wanted to give up, just as I began to doubt, just as the enemy swept in to whisper lies that my faith would crumble, God answered. God calmed everything around me so that I could hear, so that I could hear what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. Trust me. It's not telling me why. But I couldn't deny that that breath was stronger than any why I needed to know. And everything in me stopped. It was like I was holding my breath, and even to this day, I... I forget a little bit of what happened after because I just remember being home and I don't remember how I got from point A to point B. But I remember walking home, dropping everything by the door. And I remember in our little uh, one bedroom studio, it was Fabian was at his computer. And I remember dropping my stuff by the door. And I, I was thinking, I have to tell him what just happened. I have to tell Fabian. He's my best friend. He's my husband. I have to tell him what just happened to me. And then I thought, would he even believe me? Do I even believe myself? So I took a deep breath, and I was approaching Fabian. I just gave him a hug, and he felt that there was something going on. And I just said very quietly, I said, God spoke to me and told me to trust. 
And I remember Fabian's faith. And you thought this was a testimony about me, but he doesn't know this, but it's actually about him. Sorry. <laughs> I remember his face just illuminated with amazement. And he said, you heard God. Wow. He didn't doubt. He just had this amazing awe in his face. And so we packed up. We left Australia. No plan. No idea what would happen. No degree. But we were trusting God. We weren't understanding, but we were trusting that God was with us. We were gone for a few months. We left everything in Australia, all of our belongings, everything. And eventually, this is the short story of it, we were able to return. I was able to finish my thesis, and eventually I was able to graduate. But you see, all of this happened after giving God my other God. Last week, Pastor Doug talked about the good things in our lives and how they aren't bad as long as we keep God first. I loved what he said last week, so I'm bringing it into this week. Thanks, Doug, for the inspiration. But you see, education, even higher education, it's good. I'm not saying it's not. But for me... My degree and my accomplishments became what defined me. It became my God. And my success became my worship. For me. I needed, and God knew that I needed to give my education to God so that God could free me from this false worship. And afterward? Well, the Lord knew that I, I held on to this. But you see, God had bigger plans than even I imagined. I was given back my degree with the knowledge that I would never use it. So when we returned to Australia, I had full awareness that I was finishing this thesis and graduating before it happened, knowing that I was never going to use it. God said, let it go. Let it go. And I was like, ouch, that hurt. <laughs> Just let go. And I'm okay with that now, but it took a while, you know? I was like ripping a band-aid off very slowly on a very hairy arm. Yeah, it hurt for a while. There was a sting. But this passage of scripture, I mean, all of Hebrews 11, I just, not even just this passage, but all of Hebrews 11 and and all of us here, we have stories, our own journeys, our examples of stepping out into faith and what that looks like. And has anyone ever noticed that the phrase stepping out into faith is an action? Faith is a verb? Have you ever noticed that? It's doing something. Following up what we know with something we do. And again, I want to reiterate that I'm not saying that education is bad. It's wonderful. I love it. I still love it to this day. But it is a danger to me. 
and who I am. So I have to be careful when I study because I can give over to it very easily. We can start to look to something or someone other than God if we aren't careful. And even if they are good things or good people, that can still happen and they become our sole focus instead of God. So God took what I worshipped and called me to God's purpose, not my own, to preach and teach and love people. That's how all that happened. That's how I became a pastor. Happened in the middle of all that turmoil. God was like, I got another plan for you. And it's not your plan, so you can just throw your plan in the rubbish. I got a plan. But you see, in, in my testimony, and this is where I really want to go to, there are two examples of faith. Did anyone notice? Two examples of faith. There was mine, and there was Fabian's. You see, my faith was practical and being joyful in the unknown. But Fabian's faith in this, well, it wasn't about being the central figure. But knowing and believing and trusting based on others' experiences. Based on what others have witnessed. You see, Fabian's faith and belief was unshakable. It was this unshakable trust that, that what I had experienced was real. Why? Well, because he, he knows me. But he also, like these stories, like the word of God provides, he knew God. He knew God's character. He knew God's testimony in others' lives. He didn't need to be in the miracle he didn't need to be in the experience to trust and have faith. He just needed to know that others' experiences, he just needed to know of other people's miracles. Isn't that a miracle in itself? To have faith like that? So often people do not believe other people's testimonies. So often people don't believe that uh, other people have had these experiences with God, these encounters with God. I mean, has that ever happened to anybody? Because it's happened to me. They downplay it or, you know, they just kind of brush over. It makes them uncomfortable, the supernatural that God can touch us in that way. But you see, when we don't believe these testimonies from people, then they get shared less Unless, because it's a vulnerability for us to share them. And we don't like feeling vulnerable. They're a part of us. They're our story. But when we tell someone and they believe us, when they believe God is real, when they believe in God's goodness, That belief, that faith is a testimony to. You see, some of us need miracles and some of us only need to hear or read about them. And for me, I find that faith so amazing. That's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith I wish I had sometimes. 
You see, Fabian didn't need to experience it as I did. He just believed and he trusted. And by seeing that faith in him, it reaffirmed my own faith. It pushed away all the lies of the enemy and all the doubts that I might have been having still because he didn't doubt me or question me. His faith reaffirmed my faith. I once heard that faith can be a transfer of trust in God. I really like that. That's why I'm sharing it. A transfer of trust in God. And I think that's true. Our trust in God can transfer to others through our own lives and experiences if we share them. They remind us of the goodness of God, of God's love. They remind us to trust God even when we cannot understand the situation. They strengthen our faith even when we doubt or when we hesitate. And they give us hope. They give us hope. You see, there's a relationship between faith and hope, as the passage had said. A preacher once said, on faith we can hope in the future, but hope without faith is just wishful thinking. Think about that. Hope without faith is just wishful thinking. You see, faith is real and in our hearts, and it's here, and it's now. Romans 10 says, faith is not of the mind, but in the heart. I want to read this quote by another preacher that said about this, the faith is of the heart. It says, you can have intellectual faith and never change. You can embrace all the doctrines of the Bible intellectually and remain completely the same. But when you have faith in your heart, it leads to salvation. You see, faith of the heart is what changes us. It's transformational. And as the worship team comes back up, you know, I want to relate this to the passage, but all of Hebrews 11, like I said, go and read it, because faith was real to the people of the Bible. These are testimonies in the Bible. Even though we read them, we don't hear them, they are still testimonies of people's faith, of God's faithfulness to people. And faith is real to some of us here and now. And there are some of us right now here and online who might need to see this faith lived out in others in order to have it strengthened in their own lives. We're all on a journey. I like to call it a faith journey. But though our faith is a journey, our trust in God is our compass. We must make sure that our compasses point to the true north, which is Christ. And do we trust where our compass is pointing? So if you've had an experience in close encounter with God, if you've ever felt a miracle or answered prayer, I'm not saying boast about it, but share it with humility and grace. Your experience just might strengthen someone who really needs it right now. It might strengthen their faith and trust in God because testimonies are powerful things. There are stories, there are narratives of our faith journeys. 
And those of us like Fabian who believe these testimonies and who live out faith in just the reading and hearing of these stories in the Bible, we need you. Your belief and faith are also a testimony. You don't have to have an intervention of God. You know, or the miracles we read about in the, in the Bible to have this incredible faith that inspires others. So believe, trust God, hope for our future home, and keep the faith. Thank you, worship team.